So let's go to New Testament first of all, 3 John verse 2. Third epistle of John, just before the book of Jude, just before the book of Revelation. Let's pray before we go any further, too. Father, we're asking. Lord, we could say a few good things tonight. We want the best, though. We want the perfect will of God. And the only way that can happen, Lord, is if we yield to you and trust you. And we're asking, Father, let the word of God come forth tonight that needs to come forth. Help us supernaturally. You know where we've been, you know where we are, and you know where we're headed. Your word is so powerful, Father. Thank you for giving us good things tonight. Help us to be doers of the word. We praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. So 3 John, verse 2, John said to his friend and to all of us, you know that it's written to everybody, Beloved, I wish or I pray above all things. Now, this must be important. Above all things, John? Yeah, I wish or I pray above all things that you may prosper and be in health even as your insides are prospering. I want some outside prosperity in your life. You see that? He's talking about people prospering on their insides, wanting that same prosperity to show up on the outside. Is God okay with outside prosperity? Is God okay with physical and material increase? Is God okay with your body being healthy? He's not only okay with it, above all things, He wants this for you. Like we said on Sunday morning concerning healing, it's God's will that people are healed so strong. This is not a side issue with the Lord. This is His will. That's as strong as it gets. It's not just something that, oh, it's okay. It's not, no, He wants this for you. And John tapped into the fact, above all things, if you're doing well on the inside, the next greatest thing is for you to do well on the outside so what's on the inside can get out there like it's supposed to to other people around you. But you can't do that if you're broken. You can't do that if you're in the hospital hooked up to tubes. He knows if, you got, if you're prospering on the inside, you've got something to share. But how are you going to share it if you're broken sick? You can do some, but you can do more if you're healthy and, and wealthy, right? All right. Now, this is Wednesday night. For those of you that don't know this, this is our midweek meet night. You're going to hear things tonight you won't hear on Sunday morning. Sometimes we, get, we, we can't share everything on Sunday mornings because there's sometimes very, 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 very young believers there, and we don't want to choke anybody. But you're here on a Wednesday night, so just if you hear a few things that jar you, just thank the Lord that He's helping you. So now turn to Psalm 35, and remember what we just read there. John said, above all things, I wish or pray that you would prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. Now turn to Psalm 35, verse 27. The psalmist David said, let them shout for joy and be glad. <laughs> now, when you read scriptures like, like this, you need to realize he's telling us to do something whether we feel like it or not. So much of the time, we only do what we feel like doing if we're not careful, if we're not cautious. We got to make sure we're doing what the Lord tells us whether we feel like it or not. And I don't think it'd be one bit out of line. It's totally scriptural for us to just take a second here and shout for joy. <laughs> Hallelujah! <laughs> Uh, let's try that one more time. On three. One, two, three. Hallelujah! What are we doing? We're obeying Scripture. Let them shout for joy and 
Notice he didn't say feel glad. This is stronger, be glad. You can be glad and feel totally down at the same time because what you be is stronger than what you feel. And be is a choice. Let them shout for joy and be glad, God said, those that favor my righteous cause, which we know is getting people saved, healed, and delivered. Yes, let those people say continually. Is saying important? Very important. It's very, very important to say the right thing. Let them say continually, quote, Let the Lord be magnified, which has pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. Wow, man. Anybody want to please God? Then let him prosper you. Now, who's he pleased that prospers? Who's God pleased with when they prosper? Not everybody. But those that are interested in what he's interested in, which we know is saving the lost, bringing people to church, helping them grow up in the Lord, getting people healed, delivered, right, helping the poor. If we're involved in the things that God wants us involved in, he's pleased to prosper us. And if you have any desire in you at all to please the Lord, don't fight the prosperity message. But, but Pastor... It'll ruin you. No, the Bible says prosperity ruins fools. Proverbs 3 says prosperity ruins a fool. It doesn't ruin everybody. Some people, when they prosper, are as unselfish as ever. And they're givers, and they want to bless and be a blessing. They don't do crazy things with their income. Well, prosperity doesn't ruin those kind of people. But if you're a fool, and I don't believe anybody in here on the sound of my voice is a fool. I believe we should be interested in prosperity first and foremost because it pleases God to prosper His servants. It pleases Him. And I'll tell you, you know, whether it pleases us or not, <laughs> it's, it's, is the Lord pleased? That's the issue. It's kind of like church. You know, there's a scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that says, God has set members every one of them in the body, you know, in local churches, God has set members, every one of them in the body, as it has pleased Him. So really, when we're seeking God about where to be planted, where to hook up, we shouldn't be saying, what's cool, to, what, what do we really like? We should be saying, Lord, where do you want me? And then there'll be scriptures that will guide you in that area. You'll, you'll know, you, you definitely want to go to a church that exalts Jesus. Right. And, right? You definitely want to go to a church that preaches the full gospel, right? You definitely want to go to a church that uh, isn't just playing games and, you know, trying to get people out as quickly as possible and not go too long and, you know, let's don't talk about speaking in tongues and better back off on preaching on the blood of Jesus because that's kind of graphic. And no, that, that, that's not the kind of church you want to be a part of. You want to, you want to be a part of a church that's preaching the full gospel, that's that's getting people saved, delivered, healed, right? And exalts Jesus, gives Him all the glory. Well, it may, not, it may or may not please us. But if we love the Lord, we'll adjust quickly and get going the direction He wants us to go. All right, so we saw that here. So the number one thing we're talking about on Wednesday nights is why we should be inter interested in prosperity. All right, so number one, it pleases God that we prosper as we're doing His will. We've talked about this the last three or four weeks. Another reason we should be interested in prosperity is because the devil wants us broke. 
because broke people can't go to all the world and preach the gospel like Jesus told us to. Broke people can't even give people a ride to church because they don't have enough gas. Broke people can never give in an offering for the poor. Broke people can't tithe. Broke people can't give offerings. Broke people can't help the poor. Broke people can't even provide for their own. Right? Broke people can't help build churches. Broke people can't help print Bibles. Broke people can't help finance the gospel and get on TV stations so we can preach the gospel to multiplied more people. And the devil wants the church broke. He wants people upset, mad at, and persecuting the prosperity message because it's going to take prosperity to obey the Lord. Let me just show you, uh, give you a couple scriptures to show you that um, obedience to God requires an amount of prosperity in our life. Are you ready? The Lord told us in the book of Hebrews, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. But exhort one another daily, especially since you see the day of the Lord approaching. Well, he's talking about assembling on a regular basis in a local church. You can't do that if you don't have any way to get there. You can't do that if you don't have any gas in your car. You can't do that if you don't have any clothes, right? You can't do that unless you have a degree of prosperity in your life. Especially if the Lord starts dealing with you about bringing other people. Now you got to go out of your way and spend more gas. Well, you can't do that if you're on such a tight budget. You can't even make it yourself hardly. So does it take prosperity to obey that scripture? It does take a degree of prosperity. All right. What about the scripture where it says, bring the poor that are cast out into your house? Sounds like you might have to have a place to live. Huh? And I know we've rented before in the past, and there was times that we rent, we could not legally bring other people into the house. So we didn't. We, we respect the law. We respect that. But it's a drag when you know you see somebody who needs shelter and you can't do it. So we went from renting to buying pretty quick. <laughs> and we've had people in our house many times. And it's nice to be able to bring them into your house. We can't do that if you're broke. And that scripture talks about all of us being involved in that. What about tithing? The Bible talks about tithing. Jesus said it ought to be done. Don't leave it undone. Well, how are you going to do that if you only have enough and you can't tithe? All right, how about this? How about 1 Timothy where it says, this is New Testament. I'm talking about obedience requires wealth. What about where, where Paul said by the Holy Spirit, he said, hey, he among you that doesn't provide for his own, especially those of his own house, He's worse than an infidel, and he's denied the faith. What? He's talking to believers. And he said, hey, guys, listen. You don't work. You don't eat. How many, we don't usually have Bible studies along these lines, do we? <laughs> this, these are scriptures. Now, if he can't work, that's different. You'd fall in the category of the poor. That's who we're called to help. But don't get the poor mixed up with the lazy. Now, I realize sometimes people go through challenges in life and they're out of money at a certain time. We like to help people like that. They're really trying. They're really moving out. But that's different than somebody just kicking back saying, well, you should give to me because the Bible says give to the poor and give to him that asks of you. Well, the Bible also says he that doesn't work doesn't eat. Better get up and get to work. Sometimes if we help certain people, we actually hurt them. We, we, we encourage them to stay in a lazy state to where they'll never work. They'll never develop any, certain, any character traits. They'll st I don't want to do that. I want, you can't always help people by making it easy on them. Right. 
Can I get an amen? amen? I said, you can't always help people by making it easy. Now, we've gone through tough times in life and people have given us, you've gone through tough times. We want to be a blessing to anybody who's going through a tough time. We're not talking about episodes of your life where things get really tough. We definitely want to help people like that. But you know as well as I do, it's, it's, it's some, in some of these areas, it's not poor people that are saying, hey, I need help. It's just people that don't want to work. Now, you know, sometimes, you know, I, I don't, I, I feel for people, I see them on the side of the road, you know, with their signs and, and, and things like that, and I thought, you know, I, I should go out there someday and get a sign, and I'm just going to be honest with the people. Stand on the corner with a sign and say, uh, what, what was that? I was going to say something about, uh, want Corvette, anything helps. <laughs> it seems to work, man. And it could be work, man, in 100 degree weather, right, doing that, but that, you know, I don't think it's the best job. <laughs> The funny thing about it is if I went out there with a sign and said, want, want new Corvette, anything helps, I'd probably get the money. <laughs> but anyway, I love the, we give to the poor a lot. There's, there's certain organizations we give to on a regular basis, and we're going to continue to do that. And there are some people that are, for, for unfortunate reasons, they're not able to work. They've gotten a bad start in life. They need some help. They need kick-started. They need primed. And we're there, and we're going to help them. But one of the things, and I don't know why I got off on all that, except to say this. When we start doing what the Lord tells us to do, we're going to prosper. And it's, we're not even going to have to pray for some things. They're just going to be added to us. And one of the things we know is helping the poor. All right, go to another scripture, please. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12. No, actually, before you go there, go to Psalm 112. Psalm 112. Now... We, um, we've had, as a church at times, it's, it's kind of hard sometimes to find truly poor people. It's kind of like you have to be led by the Spirit because the truly poor people aren't actually coming to your door for a handout. They're doing everything they can to feed their little babies after the death in the family, after the, you know, the widow's doing her be best she can. And sometimes those people aren't going to come to you and say, hey, I need help. They're already doing everything they know how to do to make ends meet. And you have to be led of the Lord to see them or find them. And we told the Lord that, Lord, we want to know where the true fatherless and widows are. And, and, and not just the widows who have family that could take care of them, but the widows that are widows indeed. Paul said, now, if there's any widows under the age of, what, was it three score or four score or something like that, if there's any widows... Um, over a certain age, and they don't have any family, they don't have any kids, they don't have any grandkids, don't have any nieces, don't have any nephews, let the church help them. But if those widows, if those widows have kids or grandkids or nieces or nephews, no, the church should not be charged. The family needs to take care of their own. That's really big to the Lord. I don't know if people realize that. Now, in certain situations where family absolutely doesn't have revelation like we do, and they refuse to do it, the church will step in and do all we can to help them. But um, sometimes... People get a little lopsided in their thinking just because, you know, they know somebody in need doesn't mean the church is immediately supposed to jump and take care of it. If they have family, God said the family should rise to the occasion and take care of their own. All right. So in Psalm 112, look at verses 1 through 3. Some of my most favorite scriptures on prosperity. Psalm 112, verses 1 through 3. 
Praise you the Lord. Blessed is the man that fears the Lord. And we know that's not scary fear. That's talking about reverence and respect. Blessed is the man that reverences the Lord and that delights greatly in his commandments. Now see, that's way beyond duty. This is somebody that's actually so sold out to God that they enjoy doing what he says. Even if it's tough on the flesh, their heart rises up and says, I want to do it. So if you really want the next couple of verses to work for you, you can't just be doing your duty in going to church and praying and helping the poor and tithing and giving offerings and witnessing. You gotta be, you gotta be enjoying it. All right? So he said, if you delight greatly in his commandments, your seed, which means your children. So does you serving God affect your children? <laughs> totally, in a great way. If you serve God, parents, your children are going to be affected by it. They're going to be mighty on the earth. That, that, that sounds like they're not going to be beat up by disease or fear or depression or anxiety. Sounds to me like they're not going to be in jail. Hmm? Well, how does that happen? Well, whatever parents do filters down to the kids. Your children are going to be mighty on the earth, and the generation or your grandkids of the upright shall be blessed. What else? Wealth and riches shall be in your house, and his righteousness endures forever. There's a whole list of other things you can read later, but I want you to notice verse 3. One of the results of putting God first and actually enjoying your walk with God, His wealth and riches will be in your house. I've heard this probably a hundred to two hundred times. Every time I hear it, I'm excited about it. Because I know you don't have to be a drug dealer. You don't have to be a model. You don't have to be a rock and roll star. You don't have to be a famous actor or an actress. All you got to be is somebody who loves God enough to do what He tells you to do with joy. And God promised you'd have wealth and riches. He said in your house, sounds to me like you don't even have a mortgage on it. Right. Or he'd say, wealth and riches shall be in the house you have a 30-year mortgage on, which is really the banks, you know. <laughs> he said his house. God will help you get a house paid for. God doesn't care if you have five houses. If he's first in your life and you favor his righteous cause, he's pleased to help you get them. And I'm not saying you're going to want them. You, you really sell out to the Lord. You're not going to want a lot of the things maybe you've been thinking you've been wanting. Actually, I I'm, got this truth a long time ago. When it comes to God adding things to your life, you know, good things to your life, whatever, cars, houses, nice clothes, jewelry, whatever you like. Said he'd give us richly all things to enjoy. Whatever, whatever, how's I going to put that? The less things mean to us, the more the Lord can add them to us. Because now it's not like, oh, I got this thing. Now it's like, oh, this is nice, and Lord, I'm ready to give it away anytime you want me to. Use it for you. Bless somebody else. You know, I'm convinced that a lot of the prosperity the Lord wants to get to you, He really wants to get through you. You following me? But if he can't get it to you because you don't believe in prosperity or we don't believe that it's the will of God or we just don't believe it's that important, if God can't get good things to you, 
He can't get good things through you. He wants, we got to see ourselves as vessels, not as ponds or lakes. We need to see ourselves as vessels. God, bless me and make me a blessing. Hmm? Isn't that what the Lord told Abraham? I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name very great and you shall be a blessing. Anybody want to be in the be a blessing ministry? Well, then you're going to have to be expectant for some blessings to come to you. Right? I looked at this a while back. I adjusted my thinking. I realized, you know, I want prosperity for other people's sake. So really, what do I, what I want, what does that have to do with it? I want to be able, I want to be a person God can bless through to somebody else who doesn't have a connection with God or is in trouble, they don't know how to believe. I want, I want prosperity for other people's, number one. Now, I, we, we want some for ourselves. Don't get me wrong. God's going to take care of us. But I, because sometimes if you think about yourself, you think, well, I don't need any more prosperity. Well, what about the people around you? How about believe in prosperity for their sakes and not just your own? So he said here, wealth and riches are going to be in your house and your righteousness is going to endure forever. I like to put it like this. It must, prosperity must be good because doing good produces it. Prosperity must be right because living for God produces it. How could the result be wrong, right? But the walk to get it is right. You just need to realize that one of the, one of the results of serving the Lord is you need to be open to and expectant that prosperity is going to come your way. Doesn't mean you have to be perfect. Doesn't mean you're going to be flawless. It just means you have a heart toward God. And if you do stumble, you get back up. You go on toward the things of God. And he said he'd take care of you physically as well as other areas of your life too. All right. Does that make sense? Job 36. Job 36. Back up another book. But we've been going to the book of Job quite a bit. I guess somebody needs to get a job or something. It's a sign. Somebody's... Job 36. And notice verse 11 and 12. Talking about serving the Lord. If they obey and serve God, they shall spend their days in boredom and their years in throwing a drag. Did I misread that? Oh. <laughs> to see if you're awake. If they obey and serve the Lord... They're going to spend their days in prosperity and their years in pleasures. God's not against us having joy and good things on this planet, but He is against us being covetous. Let's just say it like we heard it from the, from the man of God, the prophet of God. God's not opposed to His children being rich. He's opposed to them being covetous. Mondo difference day and night. God's rich. Think he's covetous? Oh, come on, church. Say no. <laughs> Let me think about that. God is so rich. He doesn't want to live in a city where, unless the streets are made of gold. Hmm? You actually, the new Jerusalem, the city that's coming down from heaven, you know, 1,200 miles square, 
which goes, even when it floats over the earth, it'll be way out in the stratosphere, way, way out past the stratosphere. It's a huge city and it talks about the gate of this, the gates of this. There's four gates and there's a wall around the city. God believes in walls. And there's angels stationed at every gate, so he believes in security. Are you listening to me? Why? Because he's not dumb. The gates are open. I said the gates are open. Now, if they were all locked up and shut up, that'd be kind of mean. But the gates are open. Just fine. Why don't go through it? Now, they might check to see if your name's on the list. Let's see, are you on the roll here? Yeah, there you are in the Lamb's Book of Life. You're there. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Um, but anyway, the gates are made out of pearl. The foundations of the city are made out of 12 precious stones with everything from amethyst to diamond and beryl and jasper and all these stones. This is where God likes to hang out. This is his city. This is the capital of the universe and it's coming down to the earth. Like a bride adorned for her husband. It's coming down. And it's going to hover over the earth. And the Lord's going to make everything on the earth like it was supposed to be before Adam and Eve sinned. All the elements are going to melt with fervent heat. That's not the earth disappearing. It's everything that sin did to this planet is going to melt like fervent heat. Everything's going to be renewed. I don't know, maybe even the axis of the, axis of the earth is going to get straight again and none of this terrible weather anymore. As a matter of fact, it's so interesting to think that when we, I'm pretty sure this is the millennium. You can help me out here, Rich. But it talks about a time where we don't even need our sun anymore. Our star in the sky. We won't even need it anymore because the light will be there from the face of Jesus, brighter than the sun forever. Just think about it. Don't even need the sun. Because the light of God is everything we'll ever need. Anyway, I love talking about these things. <laughs> Can you tell? Um, do, do, you realize, do you realize, church, that if you feel like you'd like the Lord to delay His coming because you haven't done everything yet you want to do on the earth, you know, maybe get married, have kids or whatever, did you, did you realize that we're only going to be in heaven for seven years, then we're coming back to the earth for at least a thousand years at least? Did you know that? So don't, don't think that when you die, if the Lord comes in the rapture, that, that you're done with the earth walk. Oh, no, you're not done with the earth walk. You're coming back in about seven years, and we're going to rule and reign with Jesus. And the cities, and the architecture, and the buildings, oh, my goodness. Uh, yeah, you, you're, you're not, you're, you definitely want to go up. If the Lord comes back tonight, you need to rejoice because everything gets better when he comes and gets us. And if there's anything you desire to do on the earth, you'll still get a million times more than that. Just, 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 just don't stay. Don't hold on to something when the rapture happens, okay? Let go and go up because you're going to be glad you did. <laughs> I'm serious. I've, I've heard some Christians talk, man. I've heard some believers talk like, like, like the creation has got something over on the creator. Come on, if you love the creation, you're really going to love the creator. Huh? If he created it once, he can create it again. If that's what blesses you, he'll do it a thousand times more. Don't dread the, the catching away of the saints. It's going to be bright and awesome. Yes. 
I've seen, you know, there's been people at times that come to our door and with their religion and they could leave you these little books and you open them up and in the back of the book there's all these people with a little picnic basket and, and little green rolling hills and, you know, and they're just kind of, and, and they say that's what heaven is. Now, if that's heaven to you, then that's great. But heaven is a lot more than that. We're talking about cities of the millennium. Light, crystal, stones and gold and water and amazing. One thing I like about the, the millennium, you know, I say the thousand year reign after the Lord comes back with us, is there'll be no need for hospitals. No mental institutions, totally unnecessary. No sirens ever. Huh? No crying, no sighing, no dying, no sorrow, for the former things have all passed away. This is right around the corner. Right. I mean, we're talking who knows how long, but it's, it's really, really close. If Jesus doesn't come back pretty soon, <laughs> he'd have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah for one thing. <laughs> because it's getting pretty bad in the world. And you can't get that bad escalating as much as it's escalating without divine intervention from the Lord. Plus, Adam's lease is about up. I believe it was a 6,000-year lease, personally. But it, his lease is about up. And no wonder the demons said, when, he was, when Jesus was casting the devil out of that man who had an unclean spirit, he lived in the tombs, naked, cutting himself, breaking chains, all that. The demons rose up and said, um, Hey, Jesus, have you come to torment us before the time? See, there's a time coming, and the devil knows it, where it's, it's kaput for him. Have you come to torment us before the time? They know there's a time. Uh-huh. Adam was, was the the God of this world, but when he yielded to Satan, Satan became the God of this world, and that lease that God gave Adam originally is about up, and the land Lord is about to come back and evict, and evict those wicked people. He's about to come back and kick some people out because the lease is up. Interesting how they knew there was a time thing going on. The Father established a time. And the, and the devil knows there's a time. And you know what the Bible says in the book of Revelation? It says in the last days that the devil has come down to the earth and has great wrath because he knows his time is short. And right along with that, the Bible talks about temptation coming on the world in the last days upon everyone who dwells on the face of the earth. There's like this increase of temptation to back off from God, back off from the things of God, get worldly, get deluded, get polluted. There's like this temptation has increased drastically. That's why we need to gather together regularly so we're not hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. These services that we're in right now is doing way more for your life than you feel like it's doing. It is keeping you unconsciously and subliminally on a track that many people have veered off of, and they're in big trouble today. I don't know if you know this, but I, I, I have people in my life, people even close to me, 
that they used to believe like we believe. They used to be in church. They used to preach the word of faith. And today they have blasphemed the very word and the things that they used to count holy and precious. How'd they get there? Little by little, deception creeped in. It wasn't overnight. Devil doesn't care if he can't have you overnight. He'll work on you 10 years if he has to, just so you don't recognize it's him and that you stay deceived. He will get you off here and there. And, and this is it's so important. Being hooked up in the church tonight, being hooked up with Faith Heights Church, being under the prayer covering, one of the best things you can do in the last days is be in a local church under a good prayer covering and, and actually doing your best to not just gather but to assemble. We've seen more than one, probably half a dozen to a dozen or more people drift. I've had people... <clears throat> I've had people that used to love us in the word of faith. I've had people just thrash at me with the F word in public and threaten my life and all this stuff. Here in town, a restaurant here, I've had people more than once threaten to break my arm because I preach divine healing and, and just weird. And these used uh, believers, I'm talking about believers who used to love what we love. How do you get that far off? It doesn't happen overnight. No. Here a little, there a little. Little thought, little offense, little feeling, little association with somebody you shouldn't be associating with, somebody in strife, somebody contaminated, little here, little there. Five years later, you're cursing something that you used to love. Right. Interesting, because I, I never thought that could happen in our, our generation, but you know in the Bible it talks about Hymenius and Alexander, who used to love God, who got off, they veered from the faith, they started uh, talking against the things that were right, and Paul had to use drastic measures to, to keep them in line so they didn't go too far and lose their salvation. You ought to read it in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and 2. Hymenius and Alexander, Paul said, whom I delivered unto Satan, that they learn not to blaspheme. They were getting really close to blasphemy and already got in the edges of it, and Paul had to use drastic measures. But, we are persuaded better things of you, dearly beloved. Things that accompany salvation. Been a good place to say amen. That's me. <laughs> amen. All right. Now, before we close, because I only got a few minutes, I want you to turn to Romans 6. Romans chapter 6. And then we're going to go to that one in 2 Corinthians 12. Did we read Job? Yeah, we read it. We read Job. So go to uh, Romans 6, please. So let me just try to tie this together now. With the Lord's help, we'll get this. So when it comes to prosperity, two things I want to tell you. Number one, obedience to God requires it. And number two, obedience to God produces it. Okay, you need to know these two things about prosperity. Number one, Obedience to God requires prosperity. Number two, obedience to God produces prosperity. In other words, if God's going to tell you to do something, He's going to give you the ability to do it. Right? You've heard the expression, where He guides, He provides. And so there's more to the list of how obedience requires prosperity. I just shared a few, few things with you about how 
obeying a lot of things the Lord tells us to do requires that we believe in prosperity or have some prosperity in our life. But also, obedience to God produces prosperity. And, um, well, okay, so I'm just, the best of my ability in the next four minutes, let me just get this out. Romans 6, and let's look here at verse, I don't have this one on my notes. Now, let me ask you a question, church, before I even read this. Last week, did I t teach you at all? Usually I listen to the message before tonight and I didn't get to it. Did I teach you at all last week about um, how we're not on our own in this obedience to the Lord? How that we're not? Did I, did, I, did I share the scriptures about we can do all things through Christ which strengthens us? We're not on our own. Through Christ, He's with us. Did I share the scriptures about uh, we through the Spirit do put to death the deeds of the body, not just on our own. We don't just try harder, we what? We don't just try harder, we what? We yield better. Instead of just trying harder, let's yield better to the greater one who's with us all the time so he can help us do these things instead of us just getting ahead of him or behind, you know, trying to do it on our own power. Did I share that, share that last week? See, see, I want you to remember this phrase, because we're talking about obeying the Lord. We're talking about what, you know, prosperity. We need to do that, how it produces prosperity. And I, I thought, I know it's a little bit of a, a detour, but uh, not a detour, but a, a change here in the road or a side journey. One thing about obedience, above and beyond that, you know, our, um, it attracts prosperity and requires prosperity. Something you need to know about obedience. You need to know that being obedient to the Lord it has more to do with yielding to the help of God than just being obedient in your own power. And does anybody remember last week what, what we do when it comes to yielding? Number one, we're talking about yielding to God so that He can help us do these things. We slow down. Right? When, you get, when you see a yield sign, you usually slow down, right? So everybody say slow down. Number two, what do you do when you're, also when you're yielding? You look. You look for oncoming traffic, right? Somebody that has the right of way. So you slow down and you look. If we would do that in life, every time we're challenged to do something, every time a tough thing is in front of us, if we would just quit start just jumping out there and trying to do all these things in our own power and yield and look, slow down and look, we'll see a lot more progress in our life because he's been wanting to help us a lot more than we've been letting him help us in this obedience area. I don't know about you, but I've come to the conclusion without Him I can do nothing. I can't go to church, I can't tie my shoes, can't play guitar, can't walk in love. Huh? We need to really get used to yielding. Now the temptation has always been, it's always going to be to just when we know what we're supposed to, we're just going to head out and try and start doing it without yielding, without thinking about the grace of God, the presence of God, the glory of God. So let me just quote a few scriptures to you again in closing. You ready? In Romans right here, chapter 6, you can read it if you want, but verse uh, 4 says, We're buried with Jesus by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father. How was Christ raised up from the dead? Let me ask you a question. Was Jesus able to raise himself from the dead? No. Absolutely not. He put himself in a position 
where he had to have the Father raise him from the dead. He put himself in a position where he couldn't get back from hell on his own. You talk about trust. Jesus put himself in a place where when he went to hell for us, his soul was not left in hell. Remember the scripture? He put himself in a place where he trusted God 100% to get him out of there, a place he didn't have to go, but he let his guard down, got drugged there by the powers of darkness, and he could not rise from the dead without the help of the glory of God. Now notice what he connects that to. Jesus Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, and even so we also, by the glory of the Father, should walk in newness of life. Come on, he's not going to tell us to do it all on our own when Jesus wasn't raised from the dead all on his own. He couldn't raise himself from the dead by himself, and you and I can't walk in newness of life by just trying harder. Hmm? So how does it work? Number one, be aware of the fact that the same glory of God that raised Jesus from the dead is accessible to you. Right. Hear me say accessible. accessible. I didn't say it's going to fall on you like ripe cherries off a tree and make you do something you don't want to do. It's accessible and you access these things by faith. You believe, you slow down, you look, you remember, there's glory all around me. Spirit of God's in me. His grace is sufficient for me. Right? I'm going to slow down, look, and yield, and I'm getting through these things with His help. The, my obedience to God is going to be great because He's helping me. Then guess who gets all the glory? Come on, you, you reach the finish line. You do what He told you to do. Look at me. You didn't do nothing, man. You yielded. You yielded to God. We need to praise the Lord because if it wasn't for Him, we would have fallen on our face again for the umpteenth time and still not made it. So one more scripture on this along these lines, and we'll close. Turn to 2 Corinthians 12, and this will be our final scripture tonight. Say this, I'm going to yield better, not just try harder. Yield to what? Well, you've got to know what's there if you're going to yield to it, right? We just found out there's glory there. He told you, he said, just like Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father... By the glory of the Father, walk in newness of life. So slow down and look for the glory, yield, and He'll help you. Many people get ahead of these things and they never yield it because they don't know that these things are there. So this scripture says in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 8, Paul's going through a tremendous trial in his life. He said, For this thing I besought or I prayed to the Lord three times that this demonic opposition that was all around him, you could read about it in the previous verses, he said, I prayed three times that this stuff would depart from me. And Jesus said, Paul, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. See, he's doing what a lot of Christians do today. Oh, Lord, take this away. Oh, Lord, take this away. Oh, Lord, take this away. And Paul needed corrected, and a lot of Christians today need corrected. They're not seeing something. They're trying to overcome without yielding to the power of God to overcome. Hmm? They're not seeing. So Jesus said, hey, Paul, my grace. Everybody say grace. grace. My grace is sufficient for you. Instead of praying for something you don't have, why don't you be aware of what you do have and appropriate it. Yeah. Access in this grace that's already there. 
Are you following? What is grace? Grace is the power of God to get you through anything. So instead of just trying to win all these battles by trying harder, how about we slow down, look and realize that His glory is there, His grace is there, His Spirit is there. Slow down, yield, and let the, hitch a ride <laughs> with the Holy, Holy One. Hitch a ride with God instead of just trying to get to the destination on your own power. And he said, my grace is sufficient for you, and my strength is made perfect in weakness. Paul said, most gladly, therefore, will I glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So I just want to say in closing, when it comes to being obedient, which we're talking about obedience, right? It produces wealth. It requires wealth. Well, we're not talking about just trying harder to be a more obedient Christian. Yes, put forth some effort, but don't forget, the biggest thing you can do to obey God is know that His help is with you, yield to it, talk like it's there, and instead of praying and praying and praying and praying for things to get better, how about you start saying and saying and saying, His grace is sufficient for me, and let that grace help you get to the finish line instead of just trying harder. Now, I know that might sound a little disconnected from the first part, but we, so what? <laughs> Stand up if you'd like, church.